0: I have one slight admission that Mokhav Rav Horein um, Nika shared with me of one time he, he was not Avaim. He told me once as a, as a child he, his parents forced him to go to sleep. Uh, he sort of admitted to me with, a, with his bashful smile he stole a flashlight and studied Vishnayas under the covers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to exaggerate the level of concentration in Asmada. Um, I was fortunate enough when I came to Wayu to learn with another with, with, with another Talmud of Rav Milsen and he insisted that we learn Kaelin. Not a terribly popular in but we delved in it, we tried our best, I tried my best, his best was quite a bit better. Well, I always irked me whether we were like totally on the wrong path, we tried to discuss the issues with different Rabbanim of all stripes. At best, we got blank stares of bewilderment, Rebbe was in for his annual visit. I asked him about this, the Tsafta and Kalim. Without blinking eye, he said, "You know, Danny, I, I, I thought of that exact point myself when I saw that Tosefta. And then we went on to discuss it as if he had he had learned it yesterday. I Remember one time, every before every before every. Zman, he would give a, a sikum of, he would give a, 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 would put out all the literature on each mesachet, what the mesachet was about. It was one of the mesachet of the He started talking about the shach and what, how much was in the shach. For some reason, quite, uh, there was really no reason to do it, and I'm sure it wasn't prepared, it was totally spontaneous. He started enumerating what was in each siman of the shach? After five or six simon we realized that it was totally out of place, and he stopped. I was no, no one else had picked up on what was happening. I, I was absolutely uh, floored. <laughs> Concentration was just incredible. One time, he quoted a shach, and uh, I remember someone raised it in the in uh, the ravshir, and I quoted the shach, and someone challenged me exactly where it was. It was at the four lines at the end of a four-page shach. I never ever saw anyone quote it before or after. I don't think anyone, frankly, stayed awake for the four pages of the shach. But he did, and he picked up the jewel at the, at the, at the very end. Many have mentioned his great novel, But here, I would like to point out something else. I, I wrote at length, and this is not the time or the venue to analyze the contributions he made and the difference between his darchalimut, his method of analysis of the Talmud, and that of our, 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 our great Rebbe But that was—I I thought about it recently. Just, just, just the notion. How could he dare? How could how could he dare to branch out? People talk about the... all the literature that he commanded. But th- th- this was atypical literature. This is literature that the Rav actually had... didn't touch. And did searches. No, no, most of the books that he regularly quoted, the Rav Yaa, Sefer Atumos, the, the Rav V'on. I, I don't think the Rav ever mentioned it in Shia. The Rav never... Never learned it. J- j- just the, perhaps someone could view it as gall. How could he? And 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 obviously it wasn't uh, impudence. No, no one had greater respect and awe of the rav than the, the, than Rabbi Aryeh Kapras Mishkavot. What caused him to do that? Why, with the anava? And people mentioned on different occasions he had the strength of the conviction to take extremely unpopular stances. I was here when um, there was a great debate over the downing of a Libyan aircraft. At that time, perhaps a more naive time for Israel, all acts of the army were seen as above reproach, particularly in our community he lashed out into quite a s- severe criticism of it. People were, frankly, were aghast in the yeshiva. been known he mentioned it, and he was a uh, uh, superb intellectual on his own right, was flabbergasted. Well, what is interesting about it, and something which... I, I, once I, I shared it with a, with, with a friend of mine from a Haridei Yeshiva. I, I don't think he truly believed me that he actually allowed a rejoinder the next day. He said, What? He must not have felt very strong about it. I said, No, he felt very strong about it. Then how could he allow someone to debate? But that was the nature of his, his modesty. But along with his modesty came a power of a conviction, a willingness to strike out on his own. On matters of integrity, on matters of issue, he, he was willing to take a stand on popular ones. There's another thing that struck me um, one time, where it struck me to no end. One time we were at a wedding and there was this old elderly woman and I knew her she was not a great intellectual a very sweet woman but she was sitting alone uh, I think she, there was a wedding of, of her children friends of her children and she was sitting alone by herself and Greg went over to speak to her he spoke to her for the longest time I'm not quite sure about what. I'm not quite sure about what they have in common. I sort of know what that milieu of people speak about. And it's really not much that Vluchting has, has interest in. Well, he did have interest. You can't conduct a, a conversation of that length without being interested. He was really interested in what people had to say. He was, but profoundly and truly He really listened to people. People will ask questions. And I remember at times, from my point of view, stupid questions. He would never interrupt them. I remember we we would burst of anger. We wanted to literally get up and slap the people. And he would listen till the end and respond. There's one time, he used to have a press conference, and one of the, we were, just, we were really just out of the boat and people had different levels of background. scene was also very open to accept people of ability without really great Jewish backgrounds. And one of them asked, how is it in Israel that you keep, he, he thought that in, in, in Eretz Israel you kept one day Rosh Hashanah. We were all like extremely embarrassed. And then Revluchthasin went on this exposition ha- about the Balamar, and there is actually is a sheet in Mishonim that keeps one day Rosh Hashanah, and he analyzed the Balamar and the Ramban and the historical aspects of it. There was actually a time period until the 12th century that they kept one day. And, and we were just like, we just, I, was just, I didn't realize it at the time, but his he just really listened to everyone. Uh, I learned for a time with... Uh, well, then he was Yitzi, but now he's Rivetzka with, with his son. And he told me that when they were kids, they would play games. We were young fathers at the time. And I always... You know, before you go to sleep, the kid has to win. So, you know, it is shoots and ladders, and it's not really that important for me to win. So, you know, you... Engineer the game that you lose quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Reuven didn't play to win. He played Monopoly to win. He played Scrabble to win. He played Shoots and Ladders to win. But he did do it. He did stay up until the child won. Um, Tova told me she wasn't that happy with that, and she thought she could <laughs> let the kids win. But I think. I think it was something very fundamental. He had to deal with the child on his own level. It was important for the child to learn that you play and you play intensely, and you play shoots and ladders to win, and you play as hard as you can. And when he's with the child, he wants to be with the child, and that means, you know, not moving your piece back to the shoot. If I would come out of this, I would, I, I would have to say, and I think this is part of what allowed him to strike out on his own, in terms of the method of learning, a basic belief in two things. In the uniqueness of the human experience. And that also extends to Avodah Hashem. But it also extends to mundane matters. He understood that everyone has their own reality. This old woman who's sitting by herself, who's interested in the shoes that her friends wears, the pain in her ankle, the... That is her world, and that is important to her. And therefore, he should be with her. And she is lonely now, and she needs to talk about the weather, and that's important. And therefore, it's important to him. But really important to him. Not just passing the time... and trying not to yawn for that moment he is really interested in the weather and how the weather in Jerusalem is different than the weather in Brooklyn and whatever else they talked about because that was important to her so that was really important to him and I'd just like to call out to all of us and i just like to part something else you know personal when I was younger not much younger I, I have to admit I wasn't a big hugger I I just didn't like it I sort of did it in certain occasions that I thought it was expected to me and I I don't know I I mean I I, okay that's just the way I am I'm sorry and one time I think it was my son's bar mitzvah Rebbe came over and he hugged me and from then it was totally different Hmm. and I don't I can't really explain it But I think I understood that that's important. And it's important, not because it's important to me, or that it has to be important to me because it's important to the other person. And what I'd like to impart to us and to all of us, we all have spouses, we all have siblings, we all have kids, we all have friends. And I'd like to, I I think that's the most important thing for us to share from Rebbe's legacy, to really listen. To really listen. And maybe under other circumstances, those issues that the other person is talking about, or concerns them, is not of the greatest importance. And we would rather debate philosophy, and the or Nebuchim, and the Ketzos, or Repchayim, but or whatever we're really interested in, but to be with our fellow individuals, to be there for them and what they need. And I think that belief in the uniqueness of the individual experience allowed, him to, allowed Rabbi to strike out on his own and to craft a method of learning that was modeled to his experience that not only of encyclopedic knowledge, which exists, obviously, but also of comparing things and getting profundity from breadth, because that really played to his strength. i explain the article in more detailed ways how that played into his intellectual strength and his emotional makeup. But that uniqueness of human experience in Avodas Hashem and the realization of that Salam Elohim does not mean that we all are all carbon copies, would lead to very individualized advice to people. I remember one time at a meeting, one Yeshiva of a different Yeshiva got up and he said, when he started Yeshivotas there he thought that his would be the only yeshiva. And if there would be other yeshiva, there would basically be yeshivot bat. There would be sort of carbon copies trying to copy the quote-unquote mother yeshiva. I remember Rabbi was absolutely flabbergasted at the, at the notion. How could you just stuff everyone into just a box? Every person is unique. Every person is special. Everyone has their own needs and wants. And, and that should be considered. And that is also part of what makes us religious beings. Remember every Purim he would talk about, it was easy for one to be Mavato yourself as a chetza. It is easy for one to be totally, sort of wipe out one's personality and try to copy an indi- individual. It's a much greater hakrava to be marked of oneself as a gavra. To take one's, one's own individuality, one's own strengths, and to craft them into a unique avodah Hashem. And to be in the Evan Hashem, but not as a passive being, not as in the brisker terminology a chetza, but that as a gavra. So I call on all of us to learn from Rabbi's example It's hard to emulate, it's hard to match, it's a demand of us all, but it's one that we all can do, and we can, and the effort in doing it, even if it's not totally realized, is fully worth it. Thank you.